0: Welcome to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, Season 1, Episode 4. Today is a special episode of the Canadian Immigration Podcast. You'll notice on my website that I didn't produce a blog filled with the usual, you know, tons of practical information. I don't intend to apologize for that today, although it was my intention to get at least two out a week. Instead, I've decided to share with you what I have been working on uh, the past week or so. Of course, this is in addition to the blogs and other podcasts I've already released, and I can't forget the fact that I am still trying to run the immigration practice within my firm and keep all those wonderful clients happy. Well, over the last few days, I've been spending much of my time preparing for a presentation that I gave this afternoon to members of the Lethbridge chapter of the Human Resource Institute of Alberta. The Human Resource Institute of Alberta is the professional association for HR professionals here at home in Alberta. They've got chapters in a lot of the major cities um, all across the province, and it's actually the third largest human resource association in all of Canada. It has over 6,000 members, so it's a pretty cool organization. For the last couple of years, I've had the opportunity to speak at the annual HRA conference held in Calgary and Edmonton uh, on alternating years. This spring, I traveled to Edmonton to speak on various immigration issues affecting HR managers in Alberta. I was fortunate uh, to have my immigration technical advisor, Billy Young, who, as I've indicated on other podcasts, is uh, an ex-immigration officer, with way more government experience than I. Well, she was able to share the podium with me up there, so it was a pretty cool time. We had uh, an absolutely fantastic time with just a great group of HR professionals. It's really the highlight of my year when I get to spend time with these exceptional people. Now, being an HR manager within uh, within a company can be somewhat of a thankless job at times. So I have a tremendous amount of respect for what they do, and they're extremely professional HRIA organization. Well, I was absolutely delighted just recently, well, within the last couple of months, when they asked me if I'd be willing to address the Lethbridge chapter of the HRIA and uh, provide them with an update as to what was happening in the crazy world of immigration. Well, they didn't exactly put it that way. However, I sure did in my presentation, which was entitled Comprehending the Incomprehensible. Because of the time I put into that live presentation for, for the presentation today, I, I just wasn't able to produce more great content for my site. So I figured the next best thing I could do would be to share with you the actual presentation. They gave me permission to record it and... um. Yeah, it was the presentation that I gave this afternoon to the uh, Lethbridge chapter of the Human Resource Institute of Alberta. So please uh, forgive the fact the quality of the audio is not as perfect as I would have liked it, uh, largely because my videographer is away attending a wedding in Toronto and my sound technician was tied up finishing uh some some coursework uh, as he does his masters in digital media here in Lethbridge and so they were both away and I wasn't able to tap into their expertise so this audio challenged rookie uh I pulled out my Zoom H2n handy recorder and really I should be getting some kickbacks from them um and I was able to record the audio uh, right from the presentation and uh uh um you know right right from the stand where I was talking and amazingly enough I checked it after, and it worked. So it's not perfect audio. Uh, It wasn't able to capture all the questions from the audience. Billy, well, I I tried to, uh, uh, Billy and I, actually, Billy came with me, Billy Young, and she presented as well, so I was super stoked to have her there with us. We tried to restate the questions that were asked, so we may have missed some of them. Hopefully, it's not going to interrupt too much with the presentation that you hear, and there was a little bit of fumbling and feedback that was picked up. Um, on the uh, the little digital audio recorder from time to time during the presentation because I tend to move around a little bit when I'm speaking. But that's okay. The presentation was super fun, and it turned out awesome. Billy covered uh, a little bit on work permits and labor market impact assessments as part of her presentation. And um, although she claimed she was a little bit nervous, it did not show at all. She did awesome. And as for me, well, I never met a mic I didn't like. So we'll leave it at that. If you are an HR or a global mobility manager anywhere in the world who sends people into Canada for business purposes, this podcast is for you. However, anyone, any individual or employer who accesses the Temporary Foreign Worker Program in Canada will most definitely benefit from this presentation. So as I sit here in my office tonight, getting ready to queue up the presentation, before... I hop in my car and take that long three-minute drive back to my house this evening. I want to dedicate this podcast to all of you HR professionals out there who live in those large, massive cities all over the world, or anyone else, for that matter, who will be facing an excruciatingly long one-hour or more commute into work in the morning. I know you're out there because you work for the entities just like my large corporate and institutional clients. So, although immigration can be a pretty dry topic, especially when a lawyer is doing the presenting, I think you just might be entertained and learn a few things all at the same time. So, without further ado, I'll pull up the audio from that conference uh, so that you can have a listen. Oh, and I also wanted to remind you that you can download my slide deck of the presentation and follow along. However, not you guys that are out there driving. Keep your eyes on the road. Okay, so um, yeah, thank you for the introduction. Uh, Billy is about this close to completing her immigration consultant certification and then she will officially take over the firm uh, like it should be. So um, we'll be excited to have her doing that so I, I no longer have to review things that don't need to be reviewed. Uh, Billy was an immigration officer here in town for years before CIC decided to close the office and centralize everything. So I was actually quite happy they did because she came to join our office. Um, we focus exclusively on immigration. We don't do anything else, and we focus on business and companies. We don't do any of the other refugee or appeal work. It's just straight business immigration with you know the, the, uh, uh, any interaction it has with individuals who are engaging in that process. So to start with, Let's get a a little bit of a feel for who we have here. I'm not going to have you introduce yourself, although when groups this size, I almost do sometimes. How many people have never had any interaction with the foreign worker program or Canadian immigration and are here just as really newbies, I guess? Okay, all right. Okay, and then um, how many have, you know, let's say three years or more experience? Okay, five years or more? Okay, that's good enough. We'll stop there. Perfect. Okay, that gives us a little bit of a feel. Um, The purpose of this presentation is to tell you guys what you want to hear, not for you to hear what we know. So um, as we go through this process, don't hesitate to raise your hand, ask a question, anything that uh, pertains to your specific um, immigration needs, just stop us midstream. It's totally fine. We don't want, like I said, we don't want to be up here droning on and just telling you things that, uh, that you already know. So generally, this is the guideline we're going to kind of cover. Uh, immigration in the news, I, I put that there for a specific reason. And the reason is, the news is what's driven our entire immigration policy. So at the start, I'm just going to walk you through really quickly why we're in the um, hellish nightmare we're in right now with the Foreign Worker Programme. And then after that, we'll cover a few of the legislative changes that are going to continue, uh, that we'll expect to see here in the, in the future. Then I'll turn the reins over to Billy to talk about LMIAs. Is anyone here interested in labour market impact assessments? Okay, good. All right. She's going to drive that ship. Then I will, um, and then I'll, I'll talk about express entry. Anyone interested in, in the new permanent resident program? Okay, that, that's fine. Because those of you who aren't, you will be. Um, and then finally, we're going to scare you with some employer compliance and some of the enforcement things if you are participating in the foreign worker program within your companies. And then if we have time, we'll just touch on a few things that are coming in the horizon that you should be aware of. Okay? Sounds good. All right, well, let's, let's move on. So it all started with RBC. Everybody remember RBC? He stands up there and says, Oh, I'm so sorry. We didn't know we shouldn't offshore and fire our Canadians and import... Um, Uh, foreign nationals to take the jobs away. I wasn't aware, but we've rectified that immediately. So that axed employee blows the whistle, and that's when it starts. Before that, uh, our conservative government had a love affair with the foreign worker program. After that, no, there was separation, and we're pretty much at the stage of divorce now. Then, uh, and this is still in 2013, then we had the HD mining situation where a whole bunch of Chinese miners came in and, and there was a, a lawsuit filed by the unions complaining that the Canadians weren't given the jobs. And then in our own province here, uh, we had allegations that Croatians <coughs> were being uh, given jobs from recently fired Canadians. You know, layoffs obviously happen in the oil and gas industry and that they were actually working for half of what the Canadians were working for. That was the allegation. So, um, So obviously... I don't know, anybody recognize this fellow here, Gil McGowan? He's a friend of the Foreign Worker Program, advocate for it. Actually, no, he's not. He hates the Foreign Worker Program. He does everything possible that he can to, uh, to uh, kill it effectively. And so um, the, the company, PPEC, who was involved in the hiring of these, or the termination of the Canadians and the hiring of the Croatians, they assured everyone, they're all rehired back. And he says, no, they're not. Then we flash forward to 2014, McDonald's. Has anyone never heard of these things? Is this new? New? I don't think so. So we've got McDonald's. So in the background, the conservatives are thinking, holy cow, like what are we going to be doing here? We're not going to get votes come uh, the end of 2015, so we better deal with this. So Tim Turcott, 21, says he's dropped off 60 resumes at various McDonald's locations in the last two years. He says he has restaurant experience and told the manager at the Victoria Pandora, uh, Pandora Avenue location that he could work night and day, uh, but never got a call back. Pandora was the offending restaurant. And so, Ottawa cracks down over Canadian worker complaints of few jobs, less hours. And bam, Kenny blocks the fast food industry. Like cold turkey. No one is getting any extensions. No one's getting any labor market impact assessments. It was you know, for that industry, it was it was really tough. Now, I'll, from my own experience, I don't have a lot... Is anyone in the, the food service industry here? Awesome. Okay. They deserved it. Because I'd recommend... Well, I'd probably say there's about 80% um, non-compliance within the industry. At least that's my own a- anecdotal experience with their employees coming to see me here in Lethbridge. But it was across the board. So the minister got word of this, and that little image says, I'm not loving it, or I'm not loving it. So... Um, yeah. So, effectively, they took drastic action. This was April 25th, 2014, and this is really the straw that broke the camel's back. And uh, they impose an overhaul. They, uh, they limit the number of foreign workers that can be brought in by companies. They hike up the processing fee. What is it? Does everybody know how much it costs to get a labour market impact assessment for a person? $1,000. Uh, two and a half years ago, it was $0. So they had no one to enforce these laws. So what they did was they took uh, uh, they, they took and imposed this user pay system. I'd like to know how many officers they've actually hired, but $1,000 for every individual. And this is their own document. And it says here, you can see limiting access. So this is the overhaul. Their primary purpose is to limit access um, Uh, so that Canadian workers come first. And going forward, if you're ever applying for a labour market impact assessment, that is the overriding concern. And they don't even care what your genuine business requirements are. If there's even the remotest chance that you can hire an unqualified person and train them, that's likely what you're going to have to do. So they're now putting the onus on companies to educate a workforce that may or may not even want to be. So, uh, better labor market information. So now they're starting to keep stats. They want to know exactly what these companies are doing, how many foreign workers they have within their premises, how much they're paying them compared to your Canadian workers. And you'll see this unfold as we start to talk about compliance. And then finally, stronger enforcement and tougher penalties. Give me a break. If they would have just enforced the foreign worker program and the rules that were in place back in 2011 when they made the first slight changes we wouldn't be in the situation we're in now but it's all about posturing and preparing for an election so it'll be very interesting to see what happens um, you know if there's a changing of the guard or how this impacts on on uh, you know uh, if we have a new regime that comes in but a new thousand dollar processing fee is is what was instituted they also broke the programs into two the international mobility program they kind of uh, carve that out, and that International Mobility Program is all of the LMIA-exempt work permits. So, has anyone been involved in getting work permits under NAFTA or intercompany transfers? Do we have a few people here? Anyone? A couple people? Okay. So, those all fall under the International Mobility Program, and there are now some added requirements to that, which we'll talk about just very briefly. But. Um, Anyone who is working in a high-wage occupation, so they shifted from high and low to to high-wage, low-wage. Anyone that's in a high-wage, they instituted a transition plan. And Billy will get into more details with that, so I'll just touch on it briefly and then we'll move on. But essentially, with the transition plans, you have to show what you're going to do after this person is approved for their work permit and you've hired them, what you're going to do to try and get them out as fast as you can. Um, They cancelled our beautiful provincial agreements here in Alberta so there were some exemptions for trades. Does anyone in, did anyone use any of the provincial agreements? So we've got a few. So No. These are separate agreements that it's basically understood there's shortages in Alberta, okay. welders, you know, um, those types of positions. Well, they, they closed that off, so everybody has to get an LMIA now. Um, they put a 10% cap on low wage. So the fast food franchises, you know, Boston Pizza... Has anyone noticed that your food at Boston Pizza isn't quite as good as it used to be? <laughs> me? Yeah, I, I lament the fact that my you know Filipino workers are not in the back making, making supper for me. It's, uh, you, know, you know, I can knock my own countrymen, can't I? Yes. Um, and then they instituted the temporary form worker pro- uh, the, the TFWP, the Temporary foreign Worker Program tip line. So anyone who's got a complaint, oh, you tell us and we'll investigate. So you'll remember that this McDonald's was investigated, there were some other places that were investigated, and then what? Nothing. Nothing for years. So you look at the list, the naughty list on the website of, of CIC, and it hasn't changed. So what are you doing with $1,000 that you're you know, charging everyone? So anyways, I didn't mean for this to get into my event, but um, quick snapshot I'm not gonna, I'll provide this PowerPoint to everybody. I don't want to waste all our time with me blithering on. Um, but this is what happened with that legislative update, June 20, 2014. Uh, we've talked about most of those things. And then, uh, February the twenty first, 2015, this is where it affects those with the International Mobility Program, they instituted a registration process where you had to complete an offer of employment form, register it with the government which is a gong show itself because they don't even have a formal registration process. It's here's our email address, send it to this address and then you are officially registered and then you take that confirmation email that you get back, the automatic kickback email and then you bring that to the border officer and then they look at it and say okay did you pay the $230 fee? That's all we really care about. Now we'll, we'll, you know, let you in or we'll let you process your work permit. So that was instituted, and uh, we're still waiting to see how that all in, uh, it develops. Um, we're probably not going to talk a lot about that, but did someone had indicated that they might have had some questions about this 5802. Does anyone remember who that might have been, this, this um, offer of employment form? At least it was on my spreadsheet. Maybe they didn't show up. Shame on them. Does anyone have any questions about this? That's just fine. Then we'll move forward. I'm now going to turn the, uh, the, the mic, the podium, the lack of a mic, over to, to Billy. And she can project out to you um, just some basic overview with respect to the Foreign Worker Program, but how it flows into the LMIA process. And make sure that you stop her and ask her lots of questions. Okay?
3: Okay, so this particular definition um, is in regards to work, and it's taken right out of the temporary foreign worker manual or guidelines that you can get off of the CIC website. So their basic definition, as indicated, is work is an activity for which wages are paid or commission is earned or that competes directly with activities of Canadian citizens or permanent residents in the Canadian labour market. So... In most cases, there are some exemptions for individuals who are entering Canada um, and essentially would not require a work permit. So we've just kind of listed a few up there, which would be a simple business visitor, a public speaker coming in for a short convention, um, clergy members, etc. They wouldn't require a work permit. But a lot of the times you'll hear people discussing that, well, I'm not really sure, it's kind of a grey area. Maybe they don't need a work permit, maybe they do. Um, in my opinion if you think it's a gray area the best thing to do is assume they're probably going to need a work permit because if you think it's a gray area then you're giving an officer who's making that decision probably the same sort of eh, I don't know so they're going to err on the side of caution and they're going to issue a work permit so that's kind of my own personal opinion um, is if you think it's gray, then have them get a work permit What? what guy I don't remember, you tell them. The tattoo? The tattoo? Oh! (laughs) Right! Well, for example, um, there was an individual who was coming up particularly for a tattoo convention. You may have been aware of it in the city this past weekend. Um, Let's say three out of several of the tattoo artists would have potentially required work permits. One of three of those individuals was caught and was kind of mercied and allowed to come in and given a work permit, which was the proper assessment in that particular case, because they are essentially tattooing individuals, receiving you know remuneration for that tattoo, and you know, making money a profit and then taking it back out of Canada. So he did the right thing, even though he wasn't expecting to do that and got the work permit, where his other two buddies, um, managed to answer the questions, that say, maybe evasively or a little nice. more... <laughs> nice. little smart, as, as they might indicate. But yes, the one particular individual flat out said he was told to put pleasure on his declaration card. Um, he forgot and put business on there and essentially ended up back to immigration secondary um, and was questioned further. But in the end, because he continued to steadfast that, oh, no, he's probably just here to, you know, take pictures, maybe sign some autographs, and that's it. So in the end, he was able to get in. But essentially, if he would have been caught, then yes, he would have been in violation. Um, He himself could have been excluded from Canada, you know, for a year. And essentially, the company themselves um, could have been fined. So it can be a bigger deal than what they were leading you to believe when they were telling me this story anyways so um it's quite interesting but um yeah so there that was the california tattoo story it took me a while to pick up there but um other thing um you may when you require the work permit is essentially there are some like mark said some lmia exempt categories so those categories fall into the international mobility program um, that could be someone who is coming in under nafta or any other international agreement so essentially they may not require the LMIA to also obtain the work permit. There are other exemptions as well that are outside of NAFTA that you can find um, through the immigration website or IRPA, essentially, so the Immigration and Refugee Protection Act. If none of those programs apply, then we head into the good old um, LMIA requirement. So you would definitely need an LMIA. So the LMIA is done through ESDC. So I believe that stands for Economic is it Economic Services and Development Canada now? Yeah. Service Canada, it kind of goes by many names. Service Canada is usually seems to be the safest name to go by anyways. Um, <clears throat> with that, it's an employer-driven process. So when you have a foreign worker who is looking for a job, who's desperate to get a new job, they're going to you know, say, I'll pay for it, I'll do whatever, just as long as you hire me and help me go through this process you can't do that. Um, as the employer looking to hire a foreign worker, you're responsible for driving that LMIA process and all government fees or even legal fees associated with getting that application completed. So as much as the foreign worker you know, indicates they'll assist you any way they can, they really kind of have to stay arm's length away from the whole process, because it's geared toward um, justifying why you can't hire a Canadian or a permanent resident to do that job. Um, and it's become even you know, more increasingly difficult to do that or convince an officer that you cannot find that Canadian or permanent resident that you've been looking for. Um, and then we have added <laughs> some top five reasons as to why your LMIA might get bounced. How many people have filed an LMIA here? And how many have gotten it refused? Sweet. That's awesome. How recently have you filed an LMIA? (laughs) Perfect. So, there we go, there's your first one. If you even attempted to submit an application in the first place, it's likely that you've experienced it being refused. The federal election is still underway, so who knows who's going to be making the decision on your LMIA application at this point you seriously expected it to be approved on the first try anyways. So again, kind of goes back to, to point one, so. And despite all the evidence that you've put forward, the officer just decided that particular day they didn't feel like that there were any shortages in your industry, without really having to provide you with a legitimate reason as to why they've came to that conclusion, just other than they didn't want to. And again, just because they didn't want to, so don't bother, keep moving. Etc. All right. So the main areas that you would like to focus on when you're submitting your LMIA is your recruitment efforts. So initially, that's going to get your application started. You want to go through your ads very carefully, make sure everything's included that needs to be there, which then falls into your wage. So depending on the position that you're trying to fill, you really need to pay close attention as to what the prevailing uh, wage rate is. And again, that's going to kind of all flow back into what you're going to need to put into your advertisements as well. Um, Now, with the new LMIA process, you need to determine whether you're looking at a low-wage or a high-wage position. So even if it's a low-wage position, you still may be looking at a high-skilled occupation. Yeah, they'll fall into that low-wage category when you're filing your LMIA. Um, Again, the whole program is designed to make sure that the employers are really giving Canadians... um, the first crack at any job so essentially when you are looking at your applicants who are applying if you have a Canadian or a permanent resident who applies and they're fully qualified with what you've put out there as as your needs and wants, you have to hire them first whether you have had a foreign worker in mind the whole time that you started that process you must hire that Canadian or that permanent resident as in with the ads, a good starting point is a solid job description that would result in confirming the proper NOC code that you're going to be using to, again, roll into your wage rates and um, put forward that, that information um, to recruit your qualified Canadian or permanent resident. Sure.
4: So what happens if it uh, doesn't work to your
3: employee Canadian? Mm-hmm. Okay, so are you referring to when you file the LMIA and you actually do end up through your advertising and recruitment, you find a Canadian, and mm -hmm.
4: and it doesn't work work out? Yeah.
3: So the same rules would still apply. You would still have to go back through this process. You would still have to try and recruit another qualified Canadian or another qualified permanent resident first, before you could then go ahead and potentially hire a foreign national. How many times?
4: She should do that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How many times?
3: Yeah. As until you don't have a Canadian or a permanent resident qualified or fits your needs, and you're able to satisfy an officer of that same fact. So that you can get the LMIA to hire a foreign worker. It's terrible. It's you know, a long process, but essentially that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to make it difficult so that you will just basically stick with whichever Canadian you happen to find and hope it all works out, type of thing. But yeah, go ahead. I didn't quite actually hear it exactly. So you're just wanting to know how the officer themselves, when they're assessing the application, if you actually went through the proper recruitment process. Yes. And
2: if you actually did get someone that's qualified enough to take up that position, how will they
3: be? Right. That's, that's a really good question. Um, I think uh, from just from experience, you know, going through some of the LMI applications, um, dealing with the general kind of help uh, line that you can call for for Service Canada in some cases. Um, for me, they really are gearing on your recruitment efforts based on your advertisement. So what you've laid out for the qualifications that you need, the wage you're going to pay, etc., as you've laid them out in their ads. That's kind of their first step that they're looking at, and you're submitting all of that with your application. Within that, you're also detailing how many people applied, how many were Canadians, how, you know, how many did you interview, why weren't they qualified, et cetera, the, you will have to provide that information within the application. Then they will call you, the, an officer will always call you to verify your application and basically try to trip you up <laughs> in our, you know, in our kind of experience. They will call you and grill you, as to okay, did you really do this? Um, are you sure you interviewed these Canadians? Why weren't they qualified? Why, you know, can't you train them on site? What are the reasons that you, you know, this particular person didn't have the experience or isn't a fit for your company? Um, you're going to have to verbally explain that to the officer. So if everything goes well and they believe you and they believe the information you're submitting, you're going to get your LMIA. If you didn't actually do the things that you said or you fudged the resumes, et cetera, then that'll come back to haunt you when Mark talks about employer compliance. So that's kind of you know they're gonna giving you the benefit of the doubt if they're gonna approve it initially, and then now with all of this employer compliance, you better make sure you have all the documented proof from the time you start the recruitment process till that employee is is no longer with your company. Um, you know, making sure they have their work permits and everything, their pay is is what you stated they were gonna be paid, etc. Yeah. So, sure. No, go ahead. Um,
4: okay. So. It- Say uh, this is a scenario. So you have the person from other country mm-hmm. before the bomb went off, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. So, why can't he have that uh, chance? You know, pay the LMIA, just give it to the employer and do the process and everything.
3: So, your concern is the fact that they, you know, Service Canada or, or the federal government does not want the temporary foreign worker themselves? Because essentially, it's based on that employer needing a temporary foreign worker, right? So even though the foreign worker really needs a job and they really want to work for you, it's up to the employer to satisfy the government that they need that temporary foreign worker. So, and a lot of the times, you know, there are companies that do take advantage of their temporary foreign workers. So they may go forward and pay everything. So they'll pay the processing fee. They'll pay, you hired a lawyer to help you out. They'll pay those legal fees. And then the employer decides, you know what, we actually don't really need you anyways, sorry and so now that temporary foreign worker is out that thousand dollars and the legal fees that they were banking on that employer you know to move forward with that LMIA so to me that's kind of the connection there it's really up to that employer who is showing that there is a labor shortage or other reasons why they need to hire a temporary foreign worker so it just shows good faith that that employers driving the ship to get that LMIA including all processing fees etc because in the end it's the employer who needs the temporary foreign worker, not the other way around in that case. Yeah, sure. So we're
2: actually reading your next slide. <laughs> and, yeah. uh,
3: Filing. Filing. Yeah. The
2: LMA, Again, mm-hmm. the
3: time period, do you know a way around that? <laughs> <laughs> now, with your, I'm actually curious, because um, I, you know, kind of deal a little bit trying to post ads through the job bank and that nightmare every once in a while. Um, so you're saying when you've posted the ads on there, they won't allow you the, to post them three months before you're hiring the position, or right, before so you're filling that position? Okay. Did you, let me just stop you for a second. Did you already have an active ad still running on the job bank when you tried to post another one for the same position? No. Okay. It was a fresh brand
2: new ad.
1: Mm -hmm.
3: Mm, The only thing that comes to mind like right off the bat to kind of circumvent that just that particular advertising hiccup um, would essentially to be as soon as possible. So to advertise as soon as possible but then when you get to that interviewing stage or selection stage um, to indicate the start date will be July whatever. So when you put as soon as possible on there then it shouldn't stop you from obviously advertising whenever you want. And then you just have to be clear about, you know, when you're interviewing people um, and getting to that point where you're offering them the position that they're aware that the that it won't actually be available till that particular start date. I don't I think that would work. I don't see any, you know, misref around that. So That is our new language. Yes. we also them send us an email
2: saying that
3: they were Right. on there at that time. Perfect. I have to say in the last little while, emails that I'm sending through to the job bank or even calling that, that 1-800 number they, they sh- provide for questions for employer uh, employers posting jobs, they're pretty decent about responding, which, you know, when you're dealing with the call centre, for example, with CIC, that isn't the case. Usually you can't even get through. So that is one thing that I'll give them a little bit of credit for. Sometimes it's not the answer I want, but um, they are fairly dil- diligent about getting back to you and trying to... You know work through the program because it's pretty new for them too not that I give them too much credit but um, there is a lot of things to try and work out obviously that just aren't fitting with everybody's positions that they're looking to hire so but that would be my recommendation for that Um, yeah you're welcome so yeah for this um, the advertising again is and your recruitment efforts is a huge part of the LMIA it's kind of a headache a lot of the times because if you don't get your advertisements right and they run for four weeks you think you did everything properly and you submit your application and then they're bounced because they didn't like how you advertise so you've missed um, an ad a business address or you didn't put a wage in there that a was the prevailing wage rate or you just didn't put a wage you missed something that's a mandatory content within those ads um, could be an issue the only other thing with the job bank is too for alberta we know it's the job bank the National Job Bank, if you're um, advertising on the job bank for, I think it's BC, Saskatchewan, Quebec, and Northwest Territories, they have a separate job bank that you would have to use and utilize to, to use that one portion of your advertising. Um, and of course, four weeks is pretty much standard. There's some variation um, depending on the positions you're trying to fill. So if there's short-term projects... Um, and agricultural positions, they still allow just the 14-day advertising. And then after you meet those 14 days, then you can file your LMIA instead of, like I say, the, the newly revised four-week period. So, And talking about the content within the ads, um, again, you guys have a lot of experience, it seems, or most of you with the LMIA. These are all mandatory um, requirements with that have to be in there. If you, do, if you miss one, um, it's possible they'll refuse it. So again, it's really time consuming at the beginning, but it's better that you get it right the first time so you're not wasting that four weeks. The prevailing wage rate. So you can find what you have to pay your temporary foreign worker in the position you wanna fill um, on that lovely website there. So again, depending on where the person's working in Alberta, so you could have the same position and someone working in Calgary compared to Lethbridge, they're gonna be paid differently. So you really need to go through and make sure um, that you're prepared to pay that foreign worker what the prevailing wage rate is. And then um, the point made here about the extra experience requirements, the higher up normally that we've been finding that you request as to experience that person may need, the more money you're going to have to pay them is really what it comes down to. Um, We all have had issues where the wage will fluctuate sometimes on that lovely job bank. In between the four weeks you've posted your ad from the time three months later when your LMIA is eventually um, approved. So our recommendation is to provide a range. So the low range though should always be at that prevailing rate and then increase it. So it kind of, you're saving yourself if it fluctuates a couple of dollars or whatever, um, then you don't have to repost or run into those questions when you're dealing with the officer at that point. Um, I would also recommend that don't make any offers to your temporary foreign worker um, until you know what your prevailing wage rate is. You've looked at your NOC codes, you know what the do- job duties are that you're going to require. They're going to be looked at by the officer as, as a you know, minimum requirement to fill that position. Um, because, you know, you don't want to go back on your word. I find a lot of employers like, well, I've already negotiated this is what we're going to pay when it might be lower than what the prevailing wage rate is. Or you pay higher and, and realize, oh, now I have to provide housing and all of these extra um, amenities that weren't initially included in our original negotiations, and it's it just will save you, I think, a lot of back and forth and potential heartache for the foreign worker if all of this is kind of laid out in your mind before you look at offering the position now transition plans Um, these the transition plans are only required if you're hiring in a high wage position so for Alberta right now it's anyone that's getting paid um, $25 or more you'll be prompted to fill out this transition plan so with the transition plan um, again really you have to be quite honest about what you're going to do to continue to recruit permanent residents and Canadian citizens to essentially fill the position that you just are trying to fill with that foreign worker. So it seems a little bit tricky in my mind anyways, or initially to wrap your mind around, because it's more of a futuristic document. So they're asking you what you're planning to do after, even if they approve your LMIA, what are you going to do to continue to fill that position? So, and they require you to put down three activities Um, that you will continue to recruit. So hiring a a recruitment firm or going to job fairs, et cetera, Um, and plus an additional activity targeting underrepresented groups. So that could be youth, um, aboriginals, uh, unemployment agencies. They want that other one activity in addition to the three included in your transition plan. Um, There's lots of back and forth with the transition plan. I don't think we've had any that have been refused because your transition plan didn't... Meet the magical requirements that they've set out. Um, usually they'll go back and forth with you until you kind of find a common ground that they're happy with. Um, the biggest tip for me is whatever you're putting in that transition plan, make sure you're willing to do it. Yeah. So if
1: they want you to look to for a candidate? You have find it. You have it,
3: that uh, for that particular. Yeah. Um, I guess essentially it's more so, I think. Again, I'm a little bit new to the transition plans, but it's to show that if you'd go to access the temporary foreign worker program again to fill that same position, then you would have to show that you've still maintained what you were going to do to fill that position. You still haven't been able to. You need to extend that particular worker, um, and you've been able to satisfy, yeah, you know, like we said, we've done this, this, and this, and we're still unable to fill this position, this particular position. Um, I don't, yeah replace them. I would say if you're going to renew their permit and you've found somebody who's now a permanent resident or a Canadian citizen who could fill that position, the foreign worker would not be extended. You would have to hire that Canadian. So that is essentially kind of the idea behind the transition plan. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, exactly. You wouldn't if you found someone all of a sudden, you know, 6 months in because you went to a job fair, um, then I, in my opinion, you wouldn't have to let go of that temporary foreign worker. But then
1: to review their return, you have to demonstrate
3: that you've been looking this entire yep. time and still cannot find it. I wouldn't say looking the entire time. You'd, yeah, I have to go through the whole process again, and they, potentially, the idea is they could come back to your transition plan and say, okay, did you do these things? Um, why can you still not find a, a permanent resident or a Canadian? Yeah. I have, I have a bit of with that.
1: Perfect. hmm So but are Yeah. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Here. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. That you know, they're saying that the employer compliance is coming and it has happened for, you know, in our experience, some L, you know, companies that are applying for a new LMIA are their LMIA is sort of slowed right down because all of a the sudden they're being audited. So um again Mark can talk about that more with the employer compliance. But yeah, thanks for that. I have building the
1: different the
3: The five is your permanent resident option. So that lovely caution sign. There is a spot for five activities. That fifth activity is if you're looking to strictly hire a perma- or not hire a permanent resident, but um, transition your foreign worker okay. to become a permanent resident. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I bet it depends on who which officer you talk to on a given day. <laughs> if I would have to guess, but um I can speak to that. Sure. So and then, yeah, the, a little bit about the permanent resident. You, the reason why there's caution there is, again, um, if you are f- you know, filling a particular position with a temporary foreign worker and you decide that you're just going to kind of try and bypass this transition uh, C, the Schedule C, and just go right into um, making sure that permanent resident is supporting them to get um, permanent residency, um, we've gotten some feedback that indicates if you choose to do that activity, then you're pretty much saying you won't need to access the Temporary Foreign Worker Program once, at least for that position once that person gets permanent residence. So just be cautious about using that as your only activity unless you are sure that once this is the perfect fit, you're going to get permanent residence for that individual and you most likely won't need to really worry about the Temporary Foreign Worker Program for that particular position, then go for it. But just be a little bit leery sometimes when you're just only focusing on the permanent resident option. And kind of in summary, these are just some little bit of tips that, um, you know, we can put forward to kind of help you out in making sure that it's as su- successful as um, it can be. Uh, so again, when you're doing your advertisements, make sure you don't make everything so narrow because a lot of the times they will kind of see through that and obviously see that you're targeting a specific person that you already have in mind to fill that position. So try to be, you know, Not necessarily broad, but don't get too narrow in scope when you're trying to fill that position. Um, Follow all the advertising requirements. Make sure you pay attention to your ads. Do not let the job bank expire. It has to run through the whole entire process um, when you're applying for the LMIA. So the four weeks plus until you get a decision from the officer. So make sure you kind of diarize your ads And A, you hit the four-week mark, and B, to make sure you keep the job bank going. Um, Again, be as organized as possible, keep your recruitment efforts kind of in a chart or again it's just to help you in the future when you're speaking to the officer plus employer compliance. You can show yes, these people all applied, I I reviewed all of their resumes and this is why they didn't qualify and it's just nice to kind of have it in a nice little uh, recruitment chart type of thing. Um, Make sure the primary contact is a valid number a reachable number because usually they're not very good about once they call you or email you for a response they don't like to wait for your response so make sure that that primary contact is pretty much in my opinion from the beginning to the end is involved with the LMIA so they know what's going on they're ready to deal with the officer and kind of fight for that foreign worker if that's what you're looking for Um, yeah and that's about it the only other thing is when I say keep consistency you're going to have lots of forms to fill out. You might have uh, contracts to provide. Go through them. Make sure you're offering the same wage on every single form and the same requirements. Um, Everything signed properly. Uh, Email addresses are correct. And, um, yeah. And that's, I guess, my final tips for the LMIAs. And I'll go back to Mark. Good morning.
0: Okay, so... All these changes, the overhaul. June. Well, of course, Gil's got to get his jab in again. So then we get this report. They did an access to information request, and lo and behold, according to their statistics, Harper here and his government has sanctioned the misuse of the program because they're basically allowing companies to pay less for their foreign workers um, to help drive down wages. So anyone who's involved in the foreign worker program, um, I'll ask the question, how many are paying their foreign workers less than their Canadians? Uh, No hands went up. Surprise, surprise. Because the, the prevailing rate is the average wage. Right? So, if you're trying to, to get uh, an approval to hire a foreign worker, you can pretty much guarantee that in most cases, you're going to be paying a little bit more for that foreign worker. So, anyways, there was a time when the government did for low-wage positions. If you could show your Canadian payroll was actually less because the Canadians were complaining that the foreign workers were coming in and getting paid more. But anyway, that's so that's, we're back into the news. So whenever there's something that comes out in the news, then what happens? The government responds, because it's all, you know, it's public shaming that they respond to. So then Kenny announces a regulatory proposal. They're going to make further changes to further tighten the enforcement requirements and to make sure that companies comply. And so he's now instituted, and which will start coming out here, lifetime bans, bigger fines. Um, Those are some of the proposals that that, uh, CBC identified. So... The government says, in addition to these things, we're going to try and get away from this ugly, red-headed stepchild temporary foreign worker program to some way that, that we can get people in quickly, quickly as permanent residents, so we don't have to have this nightmare of a foreign worker program to manage. If we can get companies to bring them in permanently, ha, huh, all our problems are solved, right? So the government plays matchmaker. They create e-harmony for employers and employees. Now, has anyone, if you've done the program lately, you must have gotten matched up with some ideal candidates on the job bank, right? Has anyone got the reports back? Weren't the candidates just perfect? All of them, right? So if they, you know, if there's even one thing that's even remotely close, they're a match when you get that report back on the job bank. So, the government has decided that as part of this overhaul, they're going to create this matching system so that Canadians are able to find the jobs that companies have open um, when they're in the, in the place or they're, they're in, the, in, the, uh, <clears throat> in the process of trying to recruit a foreign national. So they're going to say, okay, you can do this, but we want to make sure that any Canadian who wants that job, of course, every Canadian is going to register on the job bank, right? Well, that's the idea. So, this eHarmony match. It probably works just as well. So, um, they created express entry. And uh, essentially, as you can see here, pool of potential candidates to replace queues for those wanting to immigrate. So, what they're getting at there is, in the past, it was taking years for companies to, well, for individuals who wanted to immigrate to Canada. It was taking them years to, to get through. So they said, if you've got a job offer supported by a labor market impact assessment from a company, then we'll fast-track it. So Express Entry was launched just this year, and it is an absolute nightmare. Why am I saying nightmare about everything? Because it is. Why do I practice immigration law? I don't know. Maybe it's because I don't know how to do anything else, right? Well, actually, it's a good thing that it's bad, because my phone rings more. So January 1st, it started, and it's designed to manage all of the previous programs. So you can see the Federal Skilled Trade Program, the Federal Skilled Worker, and the Canadian Experience Class, and some of the PNPs, not Alberta, they didn't like the rules they had to play by, so they said to to Ottawa, take a hike, we're going to keep our program the way it is. But what they did was they they imposed uh, a new ranking system uh, on every person that was wanting to apply to immigrate to Canada. So no longer, if you meet the qualifications of these four programs or three programs, are you guaranteed to have it processed and approved. Now, you can't even do that until we rank you against everybody else and pick the best and the brightest, theoretically. So, it's still, like I said, it's designed, theoretically, to help employers find people and bring them here quickly. And it was a reaction to the embarrassment they had at the Tempered Foreign Worker Programme. So has anyone been involved in helping their employees go through this process? Okay, you you should. And uh, we'll cover off. Uh, I I was pleased to see that, uh, at least with the academics, they're now creating or at least created that separate program for you guys so that you'll actually be able to advise people with uh, immigration matters, uh, with that whole Bill C-35 and everything. I was pleased to see that. Personally, I'd like to see that extended to HR people so that you can actually, in limited scopes, help your employees instead of saying oh that's a work permit i can't help you and then they screw it up and then you're left with an lmia that's wasted so i'd like to see that but i don't know if that'll actually happen so you can see with this process um, basically the candidate uh, they submit their profile into the pool then if they don't have a job offer with you guys or if they don't if they're not currently working here on an lmia based work permit they actually have to register with the job bank see they're forcing people to use it this is how the government does it and if you notice, when, they're, when they have any new program or they want to funnel people into certain areas, they'll basically just stop processing one of those applications or one of those streams. And the processing times will go crazy. And so naturally, people will then choose the one that's faster. And so that's how they kind of shepherd people into different areas. But with this program here, they say, if you don't have a job offer, then you have to register your position on the job bank. And my CEOs of my companies, my publicly traded companies, they love posting their resume on the job bank. It's awesome, you know. Imagine what that does to the, uh, you know, to the, the um, their annual reports and uh, their, their their shareholders when they someone finds that the CEO of the company is posting their resume for a new job uh, on the job bank. That's a whole different discussion. So there's the potential match. And essentially, um, the government has this wonderful computer algorithm that ranks people based on the answers they put, on, put into the, the computer system. It's all electronic, which of course means it's going to work really well. There's going to be no glitches because computer programs always work really well. And uh, when people submit their information into this, uh, they answer the questions, then the computer goes and spits out a number. And that number is your ranking. And then the government, every three or four weeks, As a draw and they say if you're above this number then we will give you an invitation to apply for permanent residence and that's how it works so of course everybody is doing all they can to get their profiles submitted to to hopefully cross their fingers wondering if the totals gonna drop low enough right now you pretty much need to be living in Canada working here with Canadian work experience to get qualified I'd say 85 percent in the last report are people that are here so are companies using this program to bring in foreign nationals no, not right now. Maybe if the totals start to drop. Uh, but right now, it's, they're, they're just flipping foreign workers like they always have. So great idea. Brilliant. But, I, the, but essentially, the program itself isn't terrible. Like, it's not bad. They just used us to beta test the program, which was infuriating. So that's another topic. So if they apply for permanent residence, the beauty of this program is they get permanent residence in six months. So once you receive that invitation to apply, that ITA, you submit it, bam permanent residence and for you as employers um, I'll skip to the ranking system they you can see here that they that if you have a job offer and a labor market impact assessment and that point three it's a total of 1200 points you get 600 points right off the bat if you have that LMIA supported job offer so you're guaranteed to be given an invitation to apply not guaranteed your permanent residence will be approved but you're guaranteed to receive that ITA and uh, for companies who have individuals here working it's a fast track. If you're sick and tired of the foreign worker program, and uh, if you are, um, let me I'm, I'm jumping ahead of myself here, but if, you, if you're just tired of dealing with the foreign worker program, and you want to, to keep your employee, and they like you, and you're a good employer, and you know they're not just going to run away once they get permanent residence, um, by going through this process, then you don't have to worry about, am I paying them? How much am I paying them? Can I move them into this position? Can I transfer them to a different location? So, and when it comes to recruiting uh, overseas and, um, you know, everything from international medical graduates, which I deal with, uh, to to professors, this may very well be something that you guys want to consider in the universities. Because if it's taking a year to get someone, well, in many cases, even on a work permit, this process is faster. Because some of the work permit processing can be over six months at the consulate. You still have to go through the process if you're recruiting abroad um, to, to, to obtain that labor market impact assessment. But, um, but you know, I, I'm jumping around a little bit. But essentially, it's, it's something that you should consider. So what are some of the general advantages? Um, you don't need a middleman, technically. You don't need to hire a recruiting company to find a, an employee for you. If this matching eHarmony thing actually works you post your position and the government does hand deliver some candidates that are close to your qualifications no cost of hiring a recruiter and they're already in the express entry pool so they've already submitted it you just get your LMIA for that person add it to them and then they're automatically given an invitation to apply now like I said there's there's no guarantee once they get it approved one of the drawbacks is they are free agents so you could go through the process get the LMIA they could land as a permanent resident and say, you guys are awesome, thank you, see you later. Okay. Um, some other advantages is that there's the thousand dollar processing fee for the LMIA doesn't apply. It's zero. There's zero cost to it. See? We penalize you for using the foreign worker program and we reward you for using our new wonderful program, Express Entry, that we're going to tell the whole world how awesome we are. Um, Allegedly, it's faster processing for this type of an LMIA, a permanent one. In practice, eh, and uh, like I said, six, six, times, uh, six months processing. So, like I said here, if you choose to support the, uh, um, the, the candidate that you're, you're, you're bringing in, um, then you don't have to deal with work permit issues. Um, uh, faster processing sometimes. Free agency, yes. And how many use the Alberta Immigrant Nominee Program? How's it working out right now? <laughs> no, they they suspended it, and they did for BC too, because there was an oversubscription, and in Alberta's been dealing with that for years. But they finally said enough's enough. Uh, twenty five processing, uh, twenty five months to process an application is probably not great, so they stopped. Now you guys are probably like some of the other um, preferential employers that were getting them through, regardless. Yeah, 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 yeah so I know some institutions institutional clients are getting them through in yeah like a week or two before they suspended the program so but the rest of us no, we don't get that special treatment so what happens next more bad news so this is this year this is Edmonton how dare they bring in American um, project managers to build the Oilers you know their their arena how dare they do that how many arenas have we built in Canada when was the last one that was built? Where's the expertise? We must have tons of people who can direct this. So I think they brought in four people, had 185 or whatever other Canadians. But Gil's at it again. Alberta Federation of Labour, they're protesting. You didn't hire us, didn't hire us. Holy crap, you don't know how to build a stadium. So anyways, um, they did everything by the rules and it was fine. And But... You know, this is this is the, you know, stop Harper's Temporary Foreign Worker Program. Okay, raw NDP. I, at the end of the day, yeah, yeah, whatever. It's all good. I Yeah, I'm not going to get into politics. So, and then, yes? How is it affecting, like, The foreign worker program? Exemptions. International Mobility Program. We'll take your Americans, you take our Canadians, everybody's happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But some of your guys that you're recruiting and your gals, I know they're stars and they deserve to be treated like that. So, okay, so then we get this one, which was my personal favorite foreign sailors paid $2 per hour while Canadian crews remained jobless. Union. So, they're giving work permits to foreign workers on ships in Canadian waters when the law says these jobs should go to qualified Canadians first. Seafarers President Jim Given. It's true. They were coming in, and they were getting these significant benefit work permits, which are under the International Mobility Program, and they weren't doing it right. But you're an officer. You've got a ship coming in, and you're going to say, no ship, turn around, you know, and that's the reality. So y- it's not a perfect system. It's not. And, um, you know, it's an issue. So they're litigating this actually now. All right. Stiff new penalties. December 1st coming. This is the last one that I'll give you. Um, lack of appeal process for extreme penalties still a sticking point for some employers. Heck yeah! So if you're fined, and we'll cover this uh, very quickly because I don't want to keep you longer than, uh, than you want to be here, but there are stiff penalties coming. Administrative um, uh, monetary penalties, they call them. So no longer can you say, oh, I didn't realize I couldn't raise that foreign worker's wage. Um, the, the reality is, when this, when this comes in, um, they will find you based on the size of your organization. And uh, I will give you the PowerPoint, and I won't go through all of the, this, all of the layers of employer compliance. Um, who needs to be out of here at noon, like gone? Otherwise, they will be terminated from their position. Uh, sorry, 1 o'clock. 1 o'clock. If, if we go a couple minutes over, is that okay? What's that? Well, that's what I was wondering, you know. All right, so you're good. You've given yourselves an extra long lunch. Awesome. Fantastic. Okay. So, so maybe I'll just take a few, few minutes then just to go through this and hit the high points because employer compliance is the new world you're going to be dealing with. And you heard it was at U of A, you said, that got a little audit. Wonderful. Well, they have told us that you're to keep records for six years. They've also said that one in four employers are going to be audited every year. So you do the math. So basically that means that everyone eventually should be audited at some point in time. And you have no clue which employee or employees they're going to pick, which periods of time they want to look at. And who are the auditors? Does anybody know who the auditors are? Anybody been through a CRA audit? One and the same. The Foreign Worker Program didn't have expertise, so they borrowed from CRA. So what did these auditors know about immigration? Well, very little very little so there's a disconnect and when it started it was once again a nightmare alright so June 26 2015 um, ESDC posted on the website a comprehensive policy document hallelujah finally transparency if you go on that website anyone who's accessing the temporary foreign worker program must read that that you employers must read that document it's really good it explains exactly the policy which they, they better be doing, because if they're going to start finding people, we better know the case that we need to meet. Otherwise, there's you know, judicial reviews and challenges all over the place. But ultimately, go to the site and read it. It's, it's a comprehensive policy document, essentially, is what it is uh, for um, uh, employer compliance. Okay, this is basically where I'm taking this information from, but we'll add a little bit more insight. Also, pay close attention to your approval letters and the form that you're signing off, all of those attestations... Those are the things that are driving the ship. Those are the things you're promising to do. Those are the things the government can audit you on. So don't just blindly go through and hear, uh, you know, whoever you're having sign off on the form if it's you and get someone to witness, pay attention to these. Underlying all of this, one of the best practices you can do is if there is any change that has occurred from the labor market impact assessment when it's approved, those terms and conditions, if there's been any changes that you notice immediately notify ESDC. And if you do that, then that shows that, okay, you know, I am I'm compliant. I'm trying to do things right. I'm coming with clean hands versus having them come back and then you realize that you did, you know, you made a mistake, but you didn't do anything about it and then they catch you. It's like anything. It's like your kids, right? If they come to you and say, oh, I broke the window in the front of the house and, you know, um, and then versus you saying, which one of you kids broke the window in the front of the house? There's a kind of a different way that that unfolds. So, it, yes? Yeah? I've never done that. You've never broke a window? <laughs> I'll hit it. I'm there. Yeah. Yeah. Those are all awesome comments. I actually cover that off. That's that's an exemption. You're okay there. It's if you single out someone and you say, you're awesome, so I'm going to give you a bonus. If it affects everybody equally and it's across the board, yeah, you'll see here. I actually cover that one off. Okay. So these are the requirements. These are the conditions that you need to drill down on and be aware of. So as these relate to your employee files, these are the things that you need to pay attention to, and I'd recommend you set up a little chart or whatever system you use, you know, the the old days of paper files, or, you know, some companies still use those. If that's the case, then put a sticky on the front with all of the important details on it and check it regularly. You know, well, periodically, go back and check. If you have reviews or there's any change within your, 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 uh, uh, your place of business, any, any structural changes, make sure you always go back and take a look and say, how is this gonna affect these foreign workers? So first off is a no-brainer. And this goes back to your question about how do they know if we, you know, in all honesty, they don't. There's no way they can tell if you're lying. If you are not actually considering real candidates, it's, it's an honor system. And part of the reason the program is such a nightmare now is because of employers who, and you know, uh, um, recruiters, and other helpers who are helping them. I'd like to think not too many lawyers were, you know, breaching their code of professional conduct and telling companies, ah, just ignore them. Just ignore those candidates that are ideally suited for your position because you want to hire the foreign worker. So uh, it's an honor system to a large extent. But they're getting smarter, and they're able to kind of see through some things. So if they know the industry has, you know, 20% unemployment, and you're saying... I have recruited everywhere. I've searched, look at all these ads I've posted, and I didn't get one response. They're probably going to look at the application and say, thanks for coming out. So there's an element of, of reasonableness associated with this. So you need to retain, like I said, those documents six years. Six years. So you've got to keep those things. Pay wages that are substantially the same but not less favorable than the job offer. So they put that in. Obviously, it can't drop. And when we talk about substantially the same, they deem that to be two percent. Fun, huh? Two percent. So if it increases more than two percent, you can be found non-compliant. Uh, provide the same occupation as in the job offer. So you can't promote them. If if they're if they're hired as a supervisor and you want to promote them to a VP position, well you better make sure that you get a new LMIA to support that transfer. Working conditions that are substantially the same but not less favorable than the job offer. That same language you can see. So hours of work, you know, all, all those kinds of things. And then I just throw these in, but I won't address them too much. Uh, provide an abuse-free workplace. Reasonable efforts. Okay, It's on there. And, and how does it come up? Someone complains, right? And then remain compliant with any federal, provincial employment or recruitment laws. Should we start naming off any federal, you know, any any employment, uh, uh, federal or provincial employment or recruitment laws, like oh you know, employment standards, workers' compensation, you know, you, you guys have to deal with that, right? You can't be no, you can't be non-compliant with any of those. Um, and then when they do call you, you better be fully cooperative. You can't be evasive. So, especially when they drop in for a site visit, hi, hey, we want to interview your employees. Now, we'll we'll get to that. They have to ask your permission to do that. But if you don't, eh, then you're not participating in the program. And that's your choice, it's a choice. I give those to my kids all the time, right? So, document retention. So the documents that you retain for six years, these are the areas you have to cover off, which are essentially the ones that I just told you about so i don 't know how do you cover off um, a workplace free of abuse? Well, do you have a policy on it? Do you adhere to it? Are complaints acted on in an expeditious manner? You know be creative obviously they these are lots of these are just scare tactics. We just want to uh, show the world that we 're trying to do something to alleviate these abuses of these poor university professors who are being taken advantage of, right. Okay. And then same thing. These are the rest of them. Job creation, retention. That's an awesome one because what does that mean? What documents are you going to keep to demonstrate your job creation or job retention? Your advertisements. Right? The, the resumes that people gave you. You can't throw any of that away. If they ask for it, you need to provide it. Unless I don't know. Unless you want to go down that other road. Okay. Okay, so wages, here's what I talked about. So you have to make sure that it's substantially the same, which they deem as no more than 2% higher or the rate of inflation, which, whichever is higher. And, um, and then it says that uh, pay increases resulting from good performance or pay increments greater than 2% may be acceptable if it was advertised So if you put in there that uh, every year we have annual increases. But understand, I've had colleagues out in Toronto, they're real buggers out there, that were actually dinged because they followed through with that, even when the government told them not to. It drug on the the, uh, employer compliance review for, for months until finally they circled back and said, oh yeah, we did put that in there. But anyways, and then increases that apply to all employees in the same occupation. So that's your, that's your saving grace there. So if it's an increase that you're giving everybody just because your competitors are, are cannibalizing all your workforce and you have to increase wages, well, that's, that's okay. Anyone have any questions about that? Okay. Um, so what do you do? So, uh, sorry, I'll give you a couple other exceptions. Obviously, if the NDP in your province increase minimum wage and you're paying minimum wage, well, then that's a... That's a justifiable reason. Um, or if you have a collective bargaining agreement, then those terms tend to apply. Interestingly, in the heat of the boom, 2004, 5, 6, they actually were refusing LMIAs because the collective agreement was lower than their prevailing rate. Oh, I remember having discussions with some unions about that. That was awesome. Um, okay, let's see. Um, yes, so Notifying Service Canada. Do you have a fax number that you send your applications to? right? Uh, We've got an address that we curry them to. Just send it to whom it may concern. A little fax. Oops, we accidentally increased this person. We didn't mean to. But there it is. And keep a copy of it. Because when it arrives on their fax, someone will look at it and say, where does this go? I don't know. Let's file it away there. Into the garbage. But you've got a copy and that's your protection. Okay? So just it's um, C Y. B. Okay? <laughs> all right. Um, wage increases that occur due to a required wage review that all, that affect all employees in the same occupation are acceptable, which I had indicated. Okay, so this is the things that they're going to look for when they come to do the audit. All of these things. And they're listed right in that on the website. So go there and, and review them. I don't need to go through, but you can see. They're the basic documents that you would have. Um, one of the ones sometimes that, that, that causes uh, problems is if they ask for timesheets, and not everybody keeps timesheets, right? So, work it out, figure it out. You guys are the magicians in your in your uh, places of employment. Um, occupation. So this is one we've covered as well. It must be the same occupation that was in the offer of employment, and you must demonstrate that they're only doing the duties of that particular knock. So sometimes, oh, people are like. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The reality is, if they start to do duties outside, and often it's maybe they're really good and you say, hey, could you maybe take on this responsibility because you're so awesome and you're way better than the Canadians we have employed and we can rely on you, Um, you have to be careful because you you have to look at your LMIA, the duties that you included when you filed that application, and if they're not matching up with that, then you could get yourself into trouble and you could be found non-compliant and that foreign worker can find themselves being removed, and it's getting to that point. Um, pay close attention to that knock because that's really what they focus in on, the knock code. Does, does, sorry, does there anyone that doesn't understand what I'm talking about by NOC? So the National Occupational Classification System is what they use to classify all the various positions that uh, theoretically people were employed by in Canada. Okay, so how do they, how, this is important, because this is, this is the ways in which they can come and get you. these are the ways that they can verify employer compliance. The employer compliance review, ECR, that's actually kind of going away, it's disappearing. The ECR is a backward looking investigation. So it's not current, it says, we want to see what you did in the past. Often it's triggered by filing a new LMIA and that's where you're going to get hung up. Because you're going to file that LMIA, you're going to sit, you're going to wait, you're going to wait, and then you might get a phone call, hello. I'm from the uh, foreign worker you know, compliance branch and uh, we want all of these payroll records for this person. And you've got 30 days to provide them and you can, you can only mail them to us. You cannot email because of privacy, which is hilarious. And make sure you block out every single line that relates to any other person. And if you don't, we will return it right back to you because we'll pretend we didn't see it. And, and that's how they operate. Like it's by mail, it's infuriating. You can't even hardly call them. And if you could just send an email and just scan it in, it would be done. But then they send a letter back. I think there's a conspiracy here between the fact they're a federal department and Canada Post, they want to keep it alive. So, anyways. So, employer compliance reviews. Those are paper-based. No one comes to visit you. Um, It's the inspection that they come to visit you. And how is that triggered? A little in-person visit. Anybody know? Yeah, often, that tip line. Someone says, I know there's foreign workers working there, and they're making, well, they probably wouldn't complain about them making less than I'm making, but I don't think they have a work permit to do what they're doing. They just took my job, and then they'll come and investigate. And so in person, there's a lot of creative things that they can do. They can interview your employees, Canadian and the foreign workers. They have, an, they have the ability to say, no, I choose not to be interviewed, but if it's kind of a poisonous work environment to start with, oh boy, there'll be lots of talkers. Now, I know none of your, you know, none of your employers are like that, so you don't have to worry about it. But, uh, but the reality is that's, that's how it works. And then my personal favorite is the review under ministerial instruction, which is essentially McDonald's. There's CBC Go Public produces this article about this employer who's not hiring Canadians. Well, what are we going to do? There's no LMIA that they filed, so we can't do an ECR. Um, We don't even know what we're going to do about inspections. Is the regulatory authority there? I decree by ministerial instruction that you are to go and investigate them for the goodness of our whole country, right? So then this review allows them to do anything. They can, what can he do? Suspend LMIAs. He can revoke. They can even unravel work permits that were issued under that original LMIA. So that's the most serious and when that happens I recommend you seek counsel.
5: <laughs>
0: okay. <laughs> All right. So methods of verifying employer compliance, it kind of continues. I don't need to go through that in too much detail. Let's look at the consequences. If you're found non-compliant, they still have that ban 2 years. So it's not until December that the new scary provisions come out. So right now, you're only going to be banned for two years. But as we all know, you're not going to be banned at all. And you probably don't have to worry about anything until December 1st. Because they, they, they haven't prosecuted anyone. It's, it's all just kind of show. Um, where they'll put your name and address, and they'll post it in a, you know, on the public list. And um, may have your LMIAs revoked. <clears throat> so here's some samples of some of the documents, which are all stuff that you know and you would keep anyways. Um, you want to have copies of those. Including, remember, your foreign worker's work permit. Why is that important? Why is it important to keep a copy of the work permit from your foreign worker? Because sometimes you'll say, go get your own, and then you'll forget to get a copy? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. As an employer, under the Act when it was originally created in 2002, you are deemed to know whether someone is authorized to work for you unless you can show that, you know, a justification otherwise. So, that's a a pretty obvious question. Okay, so let's take a look uh, at these ones, and I'm gonna turn, okay. Go ahead, you sure? So we can let them go? Okay, fair enough. So two more slides. Um, Stiff new consequences for non-compliance. This is what's coming. Um, It's gonna apply equally to temporary foreign worker program, as well as the International Mobility Program. So why they created that registration process is so that they can hunt you down if you're outside of the LMIA, and they've got a document that you've submitted describing the terms of employment. And so if they didn't do that, all they've got is this letter that the border officer was given, and maybe it's lost. The government doesn't even know. But under the International Mobility Program, by creating that offer of employment, they can pull it into the same assessment process as the LMIA and, um, and prevent all of these tremendous abuses that are happening with you know uh, these, these people that are coming in and taking jobs away from Canadians. Um, so December 1st, new method of assessing consequences is based on a point system. So you can go to the website, you can take a look and see kind of how it ranks out, but basically they look at what's the type of violation, um, how bad of an employer are you, did you have a pre- previous history of us having to, you know, to do audits and then you weren't compliant and then we give you a chance, um, how severe was the non-compliance? You've got 20 people working for you that have no work permit at all versus a CEO who received a $25,000 bonus because he made the company $50 million the year before. So you've got that, and um, and then my personal favorite is the size of the employer's business. So the larger you are, the greater the fine, which makes sense. If you're a small mom and pop shop, a $500 fine might really sting. But for Encana, probably not. So uh, they can find the range up to $100,000 per violation and up to 1 million that's capped out for the year. So they don't want to, you know, get into the too high. Um, and then they can ban up to 10 years, depending on how egregious your, your error was. But the administrative monetary penalties are a reality, and they're coming. How else are they going uh, to keep affording to investigate and show Canadians that they're, they're doing their job to, to maintain compliance? Yes. Here's, here's the response. How long does it take a government to run all of these things through? A long time. As the Conservatives were doing this, the vast majority of employers in Canada don't access the temporary foreign worker program. Canadians, the average Canadian, um, in polls that are taken, in many cases, feels that any foreign worker coming in is, is bound to be taking away a job from a Canadian. And that employers just either aren't paying enough or haven't looked hard enough, or haven't created a work environment that's attractive enough to retain them. And so I honestly believe that if our NDPs take over, that it's going to be a while before they decide to touch this and to unravel this. Uh, That's my personal feeling. And of course, I know exactly what's going to happen. So I think it'll be a while before they want to make any changes. You know, the Conservatives have been in power for so long, it's going to take them a long time to figure out what they've got. And then you know, figuring out where we go. but for sure, they're definitely the unions are all supporting you know the NDP, and there's a definite um, anti-foreign worker bent, uh, but it's hard to tell it's hard to tell any different. Now that the conservatives versus the NDP, the positions tend to uh, tend to be pretty level. Amazing how that happens when an election comes, right? Everybody tends to migrate to the middle. No one has any, you know yeah, anyways. Okay, so um, voluntary disclosure. Um, can reduce the consequences. So there's your, there's your option. Do I say something and then know that I could be fined at least $500 or do I just not say anything and hope no one finds out? Now you know probably the advice as a lawyer I'd give you. And, um, and then now they've instituted a new review process. So remember that one article it said, there's no review, there's no review. You know, there's no appeal process if we're found to be non-compliant. They've, uh, thanks to some articles that came from our association, some submissions we sent them and said, we're going we're gonna to sue you guys if you do this. You can't do this legally. They said, okay, okay, we'll back off and we'll, we'll allow people to actually have an appeal if they're being fined. Okay, and then the last thing, which I really don't need to spend too much time on, but if you are bringing people in and they're applying for their work permits right at the port of entry, we're changing. So the ETA, the Electronic Travel Authorization, if you're bringing in UK or Australian uh, citizens who are getting work permits right at the port of entry, even when they travel now, in, in March, of, March 15th of 2016, it will become binding, just like non-Canadians, when they're going to the US, have to kind of pre-register before they travel. And it's, it's a little assessment to make sure you're not an Al-Qaeda warrior, that you've got, you know, your criminal records have been uh, assessed And uh, and that there's no reason they shouldn't let you in. So I'll I'll leave it at that. And that is it. So is there any specific questions? Anything that we haven't covered? If there's Billy and I can stick around a little bit after, if you have questions that you want to just come up and talk to us about, you know how you can get yourself out of the tremendous non-compliance you're in within your companies. um, We're happy to do that. Okay. Thank you very much. Well, I hope you enjoyed the that presentation as much as I did giving it. In all honesty, if I could spend my entire career presenting and teaching, I'd be in heaven. Having completed my Bachelor of Ed and taught high school prior to becoming a lawyer, teaching immigration satisfies both of those passions at the same time. Now, I was not able to address any of the questions from listeners for this podcast today, so I apologize for that. However, If you do have a question, please go to my website at uh, www.canadianimmigrationpodcast.com and leave a question for me. I recently realized that it's not that easy to leave a question on the website. I actually had an individual call our law firm and ask how they could do it. So I uh, I apologize for not making that uh, as easy and as intuitive as possible. So I'm going to make sure that we put a little widget or something on the front page, the landing page of my website, to make that easier for you. So in the interim, specific instructions: what you need to do is click on the contact button at the top right section of my landing page on the Canadian Immigration Podcast dot com website, and then once you go there then all the instructions that you need will all be found right in that place. And don't forget, I keep telling everyone this, there's a little audio widget on the side of that landing page that you can click to ask an immigration question. And anyone, if anyone leaves a question there, I will embed it within my podcast. And so you can listen to yourself asking the question. All right. Now, if you like this podcast and you want to hear me speak in person, Please go to the show notes and I'll have a link to my next speaking engagement that will occur at the Canadian Institute's Immigration and International Workers Forum on October the 27th to the 28th, 2015 in Calgary, Alberta. Click on the register button and you'll be guided through the process. I'll be running a half-day hands-on workshop on how to file a labour market impact assessment and... um, accompanying work permits, etc. As well, I will also be giving a traditional presentation during the conference itself on the scary world of employer compliance, which you heard about in the presentation that I gave today that you just listened to. Um, So anyone accessing the Temporary Foreign Worker Program, big change is coming. Uh, Pay attention to that employer compliance piece. All right, well, I'd love to see you at uh, the Canadian Institute's conference uh, in person. So make sure that if you listen to this and, and you're there, that you introduce yourself and, and tell me that you tuned in to this episode of the Canadian Immigration Podcast. In our next episode of the Canadian Immigration Podcast, you, the listener, are going to have the opportunity to tell me what you want to learn about Canada's new express entry process. Uh, for obtaining PR in Canada. So as I've indicated in previous podcasts, on November the 1st of this year, less than two months away already, I will be launching my very first uh, Canadian Immigration Do-It-Yourself Guide to Express Entry. So this guide, I intend to be a screencast where I walk you through each step of the entry uh, process. And uh, right, really, it's going to be as if you were sitting right with me here in the office. It'll be filled as far as I can possibly, um, you know, manage every ounce of, of my and my team's experience and knowledge navigating the frustrating Express Entry Portal. And if anybody has tried to use it and has been able to get through without any glitches, oh boy, I'd love to hear, I'd love to hear from you, seriously because I just finished completing a client's uh, profile the other day. And then I went back the next day and poof, it was gone. <clears throat> and I cannot figure out what happened to it. So, oh, the hours wasted. Anyways, uh, I guess practice makes perfect, but the, the the system still has bugs and glitches. And, and so, um, yeah, so our goal is to try and minimize those as much as possible for you. Now, the product itself, the Do It Yourself Guide for Express Entry, is still in beta form. So, if you have anything you'd like to see within the guide, please comment below or message me through Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and all the others, really. Um, although I have a pretty good idea where the tricky parts are when attempting to submit an Express Entry profile and ultimately the PR portion of the application. I'd love to get even more input f- input from you, so please, please send your suggestions my way, and don't forget to like the Canadian Immigration Podcast on Facebook. I've got a goal right now to get a thousand likes by the end of the month, by the end of September, and I'm currently sitting at about 480, and that is, you know, really after only about a w- about two weeks of of uh, you know being um, uh, released. It's only been about two weeks since I released the Facebook page and and the Canadian Immigration uh, Podcast.com website. So so if you find this information remotely helpful or or worthwhile, please share the love with all your friends and everyone else who you feel may benefit from what I'm trying to do. And in like manner, if you don't like what I'm doing, then please let me know as well. I appreciate the constructive feedback every bit as much as as the pat on the back you know after all the whole reason i'm i'm producing this and creating this free resource is to help people and if it's not helping people then you know it, it makes sense that i don't waste my time and and refocus all of my energies back on uh, you know my law firm exclusively but if you you know based on the feedback that i've received so far uh it's been pretty awesome and uh it's exciting to think two weeks and and things are progressing so quickly So I'm pretty darn excited about what the future holds for this. And, and I want to thank all of you for your feedback, your comments, and just your engagement with this community I'm trying to build. Um, finally, don't forget to subscribe. If you're listening to this, um, this podcast on iTunes, uh, if you enjoyed the show, rate it, um, read a brief review if you have time, uh, because it Pushes, up, pushes us up higher in the rankings and there it's, therefore it's uh, exposed a little bit better to anyone else that might be listening or be interested in the content. Um, I'd love any comments or suggestions that also that you have in making this podcast better. Well, that should about do it for this podcast. I look forward to my next podcast where I will share more practical tips and information on Canadian immigration law policy, and practice to help you along your way. This is Mark Holthy, signing off for now.
2: Thank you for listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, your trusted source for information on Canadian law, policy, and practice.
3: If you would like to contribute a question for future podcasts or wish to set up a legal consultation with Mark, please visit
1: www.ht-llp.com.